Hey everybody, we got something special for you. This is a two-part show. We're going to play 20 questions with our own Tony Dudzik, Wonderhead, Superbrain, Guitar Encyclopedia. And uh, so this is part one of that series. Hey, welcome to Guitar Knobs, the guitars, gear, noise, and nonsense podcast hosted today by these knobs. Tony Dudzik, Pick Guardian. Jared Brandon, Brandon Wompitops. Hey, this is me, Todd Novak. We are super happy that you are listening to our show, the Guitar Knobs podcast. That's right. That's right. Uh, where we typically will focus on uh, boutique builders and makers of fine guitar gear from around the country, and even the world sometimes. Uh, tonight, we've got an episode where we're going to focus on a particular thing that was built called Tony's Brain. That's right. <laughs> and, oh, it's uh, a very scary place. Yeah. So this one is 20 Questions with Tony. Uh, one of the reasons that Tony's on the show, uh, if you have uh, listened in the past, is he knows a lot of stuff. Yes. Useless information. It's Well, it's not useless to us. So... <laughs> We decided, hey, you know what? Let's let's pick his brain a little bit. Now we're gonna we're gonna do twenty questions, and some of these questions are hopefully pretty stimulating. And there's probably a couple in there that are kind of maybe ridiculous. I and don't you'll, really you'll know. You'll cut the ones out that yeah, I might cut. I'm, yeah, so you will yeah. cut nothing out, or I'm walking out the out. door right now. <laughs> uh, so, anyways, right. we hope that you enjoy this particular episode, and uh, I will prompt this by saying. At the end of this, make sure you start sending us uh, some questions that uh, that we can answer too. We can answer. Uh, we can throw them by Tony, and, and maybe he can. Uh, and don't forget him. Jared and Jared. Yeah, the only questions asked that are dumb are the ones not asked. That's very good, Jared. Very profound. That's right. Well, well done. Uh, we want to do a quick shout out to Rode Microphones for providing our equipment to record on. We are grateful for them. Uh, and they make some mighty fine gear. Procasters. Yes, sir. And I particularly like the articulating arms. The articulating arms. That's You're moving right. it right now, but I can't hear it. You can't hear a yeah. damn thing. I, I also, I also want to point out really quickly, um, a long time ago when we first started this, I had never done this kind of thing before. I just went for it and started doing it. There was something that I was that I was doing that a friend of mine seemed to and he he uncovered this comment from several years ago. I don't know what he was fishing for or why, but someone left a comment that I kept smacking my lips. <laughs> That's right. I remember that episode. And and well, what is, was, so I, he said, hey, look, I really love the show. However, it is borderline intolerable to listen to because I kept going, right? Yeah. So I'm only leaving that one in there <laughs> because after that, I actually changed the way that I talk on a microphone. Wow. I did. And, you know, occasionally we're human and maybe one might fall in there every now and again, but... Speak for yourself. Yeah, it's mostly it's mostly other people. <clears throat> so, uh, <laughs> anyways, my point is that comment was really valuable to me personally because I was investing so much into the show. I wanted it to succeed, and uh, if you have questions or comments that might you think might help our show or or prevent you from quitting listening, <laughs> please, please share don't it. leave. Yeah, we, we value uh, our listeners. And no, I'm not going to leave the show. No, I appreciate that, Jared. <laughs> Just in case somebody Yes. Asks. Uh, I also <laughs> wanted to throw out that I think recently I've gotten a lot of feedback to, sent to us for, from a handful of uh, people in our audience that are pretty active in our group and they're, they're patrons and, and um, I guess they're patrons, not patrons. Patreons. Their patrons just sharing a word about their world it made such an impact on us. Oh yeah, those were great. It, I mean, it that's, really it you know, means it, a lot to it, us. Yeah, I, I think in both cases, people were having really kind of bad days, and yeah, they got something in their mailbox for. Uh, well, yeah, any, and, and that, uh, and that kind of uh, stuff, and and then the listening to the things, it it, it, it yeah. kind of. Yeah. But we enjoy hearing things like that too because it does make a difference. It really it. does, and it's appreciated and. um 
It doesn't matter how big or small it is. It's just, you know, knowing that you guys are out there, it's uh, good to know. So. Thank you. Without further adieu. adieu. Uh, Jared, what happened in your music world this week? i tell you what happened. I got on the phone and I called my good old buddy, Tony. And I says, that's Tony. Me. That's right. This Tony right here in the thing. It's Tony, let's order a, a neck up. for this. Oh. <laughs> that sounds that sounded pretty good, but we could have probably done that. A jazz master neck. Now, I bought a jazz master neck overseas. It didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. It wasn't it wasn't what I was looking for. So I returned it and I called on the phone to Tony. And I said, okay, let's get that neck. And I thought it was just going to be a real quick, okay, well, let me just, I'll submit the order and whatever. No, I mean, I I know about necks enough to get me in trouble, but I soon realized that I should have called Tony a little more prepared because of <laughs> the umpteenth million specifications uh, that you need to submit along with the order. Well, that, that's one of the, the blessings and dangers of customized or ordering customized parts is, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah. But go ahead with your story. And, and thank God we're friends because I don't think anybody else would put up with the asinine questions I had <laughs> and, and just, you know, babble about all these specifications. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I just want it to, you know, I want it to feel like a... A 91 strap plus neck, and I want it to have the curve of a 59 and blah, blah, blah. All these, I mean, guys, just go to the guitar shop and try out guitars. Don't, I mean, it's, it was, it, it was, actually it was fun after it was done. <laughs> I look you back really on You leading said, us up to like this bad thing. They say it was, it was, it was, actually it was fun. It, it was, it was fun. Well, there's a, it, it takes time. It takes a lot of time. Because you have to go specification by, you know, fret yeah. wire, shape, thickness, nut yeah. width. I mean, there's the whole... Radius. Yeah. All this stuff. It, it was mind-boggling to me because I wasn't totally prepared, but I did have enough information of what I wanted to actually, you know, get it done. And I have full confidence it's going to be what I want. I can't wait to get this thing because uh, it's going to be have a cool bodies. neck. It's a cool. It's yeah. it's going to be a nice neck. There's a, a company out in Washington State that uh, that does custom work. They've made a couple of necks for me, and of course, you wanted binding and blocks, which adds to the cost as well as the complexity. Right. And, I mean, uh, otherwise, I would have just ordered something off of uh, the place down in Texas. All parts. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it would have been as easy as that because they make great necks too. Anyway, that's that's pretty much what went on in, in my in my guitar world this past week. Cool, Tony. So, well, in this uh, third and final installment on the Ventures <laughs> Jazz Master Project, um, I just uh, you know we've talked about it over the last couple of episodes. Um, I put one together. Now, the neck that I got from overseas that had dots and and uh, or I mean blocks and uh, and binding, although there were some things that were somewhat wrong with it. It still turned out to be a good neck, and that's what I used on this project. The one very dissatisfying part of it was, <clears throat> excuse me, the nut that came with it was just really bad, and, and the slots were cut too narrow. And the reason was is they that with the binding, it, they made the nut fit inside of the binding, yeah. which made the strings closer in. So um, a very good friend of mine, Sean Bowers, opened up a, uh, a, a new guitar repair shop uh, here in Columbus, and uh, it's called the Guitar Repair Company. Surprisingly, no one has ever used that uh, domain name, so that's one of the reasons he chose that. Wow. But um, So basic. He's, he's always done really good work for me, and you know I'm capable of cutting a nut, and it's, it's adequate. But I'm going to tell you, on any special instrument or anything that you really want to play well, you have to take it somewhere. Someone who does this stuff day in, day out, can dress the frets, can clean up the binding, can make a nut that actually works. And and he did all of that. He did more work than he probably should have, but uh, I'm extremely happy with the end product now. Um, it from plays what I great. Saw, yeah, from what I saw, buddy, he it, he takes a lot of pride in his work, <clears> especially <throat> on that nut. I mean, you know, he he he. Yeah, I mean, I and I know it's not just for me because I've seen him do work for other people, 
and he really does go into it. He spends time, but uh, but the whole thing came together really nicely. Jared, your pickups those those sound great. Um, the only thing I've got on 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 tap is to actually put a uh, a coil tap uh, yeah. switch in it so we can split the pickups down it, to more it's of a, a very scene. thick sound. Yeah, well, they it sounds great as it, yeah. as it stands, but. If you want a true jazz master sound, I think that will probably take care of the issue. That was my week. Excellent. Todd? Uh, I spent some time visiting my friend Chase Gullet of Chasing Vintage Guitars. Hey, um, Chase. He was uh, making some refinements on his paint booth. He offered to set up my Tele Master Blaster thing. <laughs> Whatever you want to call it, jazz, <laughs> jazz caster, tell him master. Yeah. I still don't have a name for it. Sorry. So w- what we did, we have it rattle can gold right now, which is kind of cool. That's Under, that's going to be the that's, undercoat. That's the undercoat. Okay. So yeah, it was kind of fun seeing that start to come together, and and uh, now I'm also just kind of starting to look for different kinds of knobs to put on it because I like to I like mixing up the knobs a little bit, you know and. You, should, so, you come down to my shop. I've got a whole drawer full of I'm, I goofy will. stuff. I, w- I want to. Uh, so next up is getting the right kind of black that we want on there. I'm looking for a pretty specific finish, and we're going to do a black headstock on it too. So, Ooh. Yeah, it's going to be cool. That's going to be quite nice. Mm-hmm. So that's what it was. Um, that's exciting. Yeah. Tony, are you ready? <sighs> I guess ready I'm as really bummed. Ever I don't have a four on the floor today. Hmm. I've got a couple I'll, requests. I'll give you another mine, four. I can't. I, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a that. four on the I've floor. I've gotten so many new pedals in the past few months. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, you, I've I've only this, gotten one new pedal in the last year. Well, Todd's got you're, me. You're kind of going crazy buying pedals, man. I love it. It's because of you. I mean, you opened me up to you know different sounds <laughs> and different tones and. Yes, Jared is the is is the, I'm the driving force of the of the Mutron. Yeah, that's price right. increases. <laughs> I'm like your personal bet Midler. Okay, or something I guess. No, that's did that's I ever weird. tell you I'm your yeah. you're my hero? Uh, anyways, so what we're really here to do is pick Tony's brain, not for just pure entertainment, because uh, honestly, he really does know an exceptional amount about guitars and the history and the and the the business and. I think that that's really interesting. Every time I do the show, I'm just convinced I know less. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I've forgotten more than you'll ever know, Sonny. Yeah, so right. I, I figure, <laughs> hey, this would be this would be great to share with with everybody out there. So, oh yeah, fire away. Yes, who's up? Uh, okay, number one. Question number one. Number one, Jared. I'll give you number one. All right, man. I got a question for you, old buddy. Okay. Wait, that's we already know that we've established that this is the. <laughs> 20 questions there's no there's no setup necessary you just uh, you i'm just like an old cassette question. tape man you just have to listen to everything <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> so why are rick and Bacher, why are the fretboards so glossy why did they do that uh that that's actually a really good question and an interesting question in some cases people really hate that i mean oh, it's could- it's 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 comparable to you know like a like a fender neck like a maple fender board that has finish on it. A little more glossier, though. I've, I've never seen a fretboard so glossy well, in my it's, life. Well, it's the type of finish that they that they've that they used back then. It's not a true um, uh, lacquer. Uh, it's more of a catalyzed varnish, I guess okay. you would say. And that's what that's what they that what they used over the years. So it is. A, it seems to be a bit thicker, a little more plasticky. Um, and maybe the newer models that I've seen out there too are trying to emulate that old look, and they well, come out super shiny as well. Interestingly, in the in the late fifties, those uh, the models that they made then did not have finish on it. So I think somewhere around the early sixties is when they decided, hey, well, we've got we've got everything together, let's just shoot the whole guitar, right? And um, so that's, I mean, it's one of those things you either love or you hate. Um, Does it do anything from a tonal standpoint? Does it contribute to the chiminess of a Rickenbacker? I don't think so. Okay. I, I think that's just inherent to the uh, to the type of wood, which is mostly maple or a, a maple and um, uh, walnut combination mm-hmm. that they used, and the pickups, of course. So it's, it's they're they're generally very waple? bright. Wape, wape, well, wape, wa- 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 maple, wa- 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 wa
but um but it's it, you know i think yeah it's a whole combination and and all maple guitar is going to be brighter no matter what but i don't know if finishing the the fingerboard really makes any difference on on, on it a does fender feel a little bit it odd. feels it feels different yeah which is weird because you're really not touching the actual fingerboard so much as the strings yeah you know if you're unless, unless you have you're a very heavy left hand or, or right hand of <laughs> yeah but there is a definite when you pick it up it's like whoa this is this feels very different but i mean do you notice a difference when if you're playing a a, a maple board fender yeah uh, uh, like a versus I, uh, a rosewood fender yeah there is you can tell your fingers are touching it but it, you wouldn't think it was it's so pronounced like if you're used to a um a sealed um uh, fingerboard like a maple, maple finger, fingerboard the difference between that and and a, a rosewood or a, um, a dark wood unfinished mm -hmm. whatever kind of board does feel different but the difference between that uh sealed maple board and the rick is like mm -hmm. you shouldn't th in theory you really shouldn't be able to tell that much difference but man it does feel different well i i think that in and i honestly i think the bigger difference between rickenbackers and most other guitars especially earlier ones is the nut spacing because they have very narrow uh, uh nuts on <laughs> me no likey <laughs> and a lot of people don't and that's why some of the the newer models like it started with the uh uh with with the tom petty uh 660 12 string yeah they actually widened it to one and three quarter inches uh, versus I think the standard is 1.65 instead of 1.75. So the strings are pretty tight, especially on a 12 string. Oh, yes. And now, so now all the regular 660s and at least one model of the, um, it's the 19, I think they call it a 1998 or 1997 model. The Rose Morse model has that wider nut width as well. So that that's, I mean, immediately... Uh, if you pick up a Rickenbacker, compare it to, you know, a Fender or Gibson, it just feels, you know, especially if you have larger hands. So basically they just, they said, it's all together. Let's spray the whole thing. So they spray the, did, did they have the wherewithal to, to scrape the finish off of the frets? No. So when you first got it, no, you would string it up and then you were playing. You're like, what's this stuff coming off the frets? Yeah, that's the that, that, coming that's, off the frets. That's a real problem. I mean, I think they may level things out a little bit, and that by that nature. But I, I've had some ricks that it's so built up, it's almost like gluing the frets in place. Yeah, it's okay. Not 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 the Great best of question, all things. Jared. There you well, go. You know, he hit right. it out of the ballpark. All right, we're going down the road. Uh, okay, time for me. Question number two, Tony. So question. So Tony, I've got a question for you. <laughs> What's up with custom with a K amps? Custom with a K. And let me clarify that. When I say what's up with it, when we look at them, we've all, I'm sure we've all seen. Tuck and roll. The, the tuck and roll, of which course. tuck and roll is, for those who don't know what tuck and roll is, it's vinyl that has a stitching that makes it look Puffy. Like puffy pillow, little pillows all over the amp. You can actually sleep on a custom amp. I bet you could. I think they put <laughs> I think that I might there. have. Yeah. <laughs> In case you drop it while you're carrying it, it hits your foot. It won't hurt so bad. Yeah. <laughs> so well, the reason that I ask what's up with that is because they look so cool. They like do. we went, when we were in Chicago, we went to rock and roll vintage. Oh yeah. I mean, the minute we walk in the door, there were like three, the custom section. Custom section. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, it's impossible not to go like, that's so cool. It right? is. Yeah. But why do we rarely see them being played? Well, and, you know, we don't have to bash anything, but I'm just, yeah, I mean, and, I what's mean, what's the genesis behind that whole thing? I mean, in, I mean, in my opinion, they never were really great sounding amplifiers. Um, I think for the time, they may have been relatively loud and pretty, pretty much on the clean side. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, CCR, uh, John Fogarty played them, probably a couple of other bands of the time. 
And I think they were just a, maybe a less expensive alternative to what Fender was putting out at the time, certainly some of the other overseas companies. But yeah, I mean, for, if, I, I don't know a lot about the company, but they were, found, I think they were in Chanute, Kansas. Mm. I think is that, that's how you say it. And they just built all these things. And, and that was their trademark was the kind of the, we call it tuck and roll, but it's it's basically like a padded vinyl uh, covering on it. Yeah, but that that aesthetic was really, really popular in the 70s. Yeah, totally. I'm curious uh, to know, it, it'd be interesting if, if anybody was heavily modding them or making them better or completely ripping out the guts and keeping the chassis and putting new <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's just in too it. cool. I mean, yeah. I saw a gold one, a gold <laughs> tuck and roll, like, get out of here. Yeah, they yeah. they 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 reissued them. I don't know if it was, I'm, you know, I, don't, yeah, they I, I doubt it was the same company. Yeah. Somebody bought the name. Yeah. They reissued some. They had some tube ones. Most of them were solid state. And I mean, they were okay. I mean, yeah. But if you know, if, if from the same era, if I had to pick a lower priced amp, and, and actually a lot of players at the time did, uh, they would, I would pick a, a trainer out of uh, out of Canada. Yeah, those things were just. I, I've owned several trainers over the years, and my God, are they great amplifiers? They still. That's that's the two things that you always hear. I own several trainers, and. They are amazing. They are just really, really amazing. I think we might have talked about this back when I my very first episode. May have, um, yeah. yeah, that yeah, the 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 rumor mill or whatever. I think it's it's been documented. Uh, Pete Trainer, who built these things, would take them to the top of the warehouse, which is two or three stories, drop it, and then plug it back in. It would that, work. that was the test. If if the, you could drop it off that and and have I heard it, that about Bogner. Well, it could be, <laughs> it could be too, but anyways, maybe they were having a drop off or something. <laughs> Back to customs. Drop off? I wanted to add that they, uh, they actually had weird speaker configurations That's as true well. Too. Yeah. They had the horn or whatever. Oh yeah. And my dad's band in the early seventies, really early stuff, they had a custom PA system. Yeah. yeah. And I have six or seven hours of reel to reel recordings of their band playing through and they sang through they had four guys singing through a custom pa system and that thing sounded great yeah hmm. well if you're only running vokes through it yeah that's it i, I mean, mean that's what they were and that's, it was that's how clear that's how pv got started at that same time he his big foray was into to sound reinforcement yeah, yeah. even leo fender back in the you know in the 40s that was his his how he got into um, lap steels too right yeah well I anything mean, that you can plug in tommy <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was a great question, Todd. Jared, <laughs> what's your next question for Tony? Yeah, good job, Todd. <laughs> Who made the pickups on the Mosrite guitars? On Moserites? Moserites, yeah. Moserite. Moserites. Mos. I've repaired. Uh, let me. Yeah, good. Give, preface me, a, give this. me a. Give me a pref, preface. A little preface. I've repaired a lot of these. I've rebuilt these, and they were <laughs> kind of crudely made. Uh, which is a nice way to put it. I mean, you got Carbondo that used for, <laughs> you know, body shaping and body repair on cars. Body filler. Legitimately. Yeah. You're not just saying, you're not just like sort of. No. That, no, no. That that's, is that's, that's fluffing the conversation. That's, that's, that is real Bondo. It's the real thing. I know what it smells like. Uh, <laughs> when you weird. sand it, it's got, you know, Bondo's got yes. that specific smell. No. But uh, <laughs> they sound great, though. I got to tell you, when they're when they're put together right, and when they're in that guitar, yeah, they got that sound. Yeah, well, I, I'm I'm assuming that was uh, Semi Mosley who you know ran the company, and I'm I'm not sure why he chose the products he chose. Probably other than that's what was available. I mean, he started building stuff in the '50s. Yeah. And you couldn't just run down to the corner store and say, yeah, I mean, give me uh, 80, some uh, some 80 magnets and some bobbins and uh, yeah, give me a spool of wire. I mean, yeah. I, I think that they, he probably figured, well, geez, if I seal the back of these things, maybe it'll be quieter. I don't, I don't, I can't answer that completely, but. Um, Useless. <laughs> I'm not a pickup guy, but I will tell you that um, Curtis Novak is making uh, a really good replica of the Moserite uh, pickups. Yeah. Um, so that's something you can check out 
And Knowing him, they're built really well. Well, he builds everything as it was. I mean, it's, he's taken enough of those things apart, I'm sure, as of So you. he's buying the Bondo and cutting the bobbins out of this I don't know clear if he's plastic. D- I don't know if he's doing the Bondo thing it, or man. not. I'm willing but maybe, to bet he's making them really well. Yeah. I ought to, I ought to find that out. Yeah. Well, we'll, well, I'll, we'll get in touch with them and, and say, hey, are you using Bondo like the real ones? <laughs> mm. That's great. So... <laughs> <laughs> I'm nice. Just gonna, I'm just Boy, gonna, that was such a good segue. I'm just going to go for weird segues <laughs> on this show. Thanks, Tony. Uh, number three, which is a, f- a follow-up. Actually, this is question number four. We're already at number four. Four. Um, the second part of this. Why are Moserites so expensive? Asterisks, because all we hear about of them is that they play like garbage. <laughs> and that's coming from... Uh, the actual ventures themselves who we met at the guitar show who wanted to tell us all about why Moserites <laughs> were terrible guitars <laughs> and how they just really wanted the fenders. Um, this is very interesting. So uh, obviously I, I would be biased towards a Moserite because of Johnny Ramone. Yeah. I mean, well, that's a, that's a different, yeah, that, that's, 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 that's a the, little different animal the, from the ventures model, but go ahead. Yes, it is. But it's just odd that, the demand for those and the price is so crazy. Also with the, with the, the knockoffs as well, or mm-hmm. at least, I don't know if you'd call them knockoffs, but like the Univox, Univox models Flyer, and stuff yeah. like that. And Dan Electro actually just released, um, a whole series of, uh, most right. Yeah. You know, and then there's the Wilson brothers that, uh, they, they issued one. There's most right of, California, I think that that is still a separate company. Yeah. So there are, yeah, there are people that okay, are. Okay, so back still, to my original super short. So question. why? Okay, well, I think why they cost so much is there were so few of them actually made. Yeah, um, that that really played into it. And um, I mean, the one I, I've played some good ones. I've played some bad ones. I think a lot of it is just is someone had approached uh, Sammy Mosley and said, oh, I, I, I kind of like Strats, but I want something different. And so he took a strat and flipped it upside down, traced it, and that became the basic body shape. So the mm. what was the upper horn on a strat is now the lower horn. So that's why it kind of shifted everything around that way. But yeah, I mean, a lot of those instruments are pretty crudely made. I mean, he even after Moserite folded, um, I think there was a, a brand called Gospel um, that he continued with, and you know they they were they were almost like you know carryovers from that time in the in the 50s and even into the 60s that things were it, it was almost pre pre mass production a lot more hand built things even if you look at some of the old carvin the original carvin series mm-hmm. and um any of the, even the Bigsby's and things like that they're pretty crude instruments yeah even some of the early rickenbackers are pretty crude um so i think it's it's a product of the times they they're just you know they look cool as hell but um, you know if I, I think if if I were to if I needed a guitar to play that looked like a Moserite I'd probably buy one of the reissues yeah or something yeah and those are pretty cheap to pick up oh yeah 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 the Eastwood makes one uh, you know there's the Univox High Flyers in the seventies there's yeah. you know all sorts I always of things. see one or two of those at the at the shows and I'm, every time I'm tempted to grab one. The Univox ones. Just watch for the truss rods. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> All right. Excellent. All right. Jared. My turn. Jared. It's your turn. My turn. Do you have a question for me, Jared? Listen, I have a question. What do you think the best tuner ever made is and why? Like wow. and that's that's your personal opinion. You though. mean tuning machine? Tuning machine. Yes. Oh, tuning machine. I thought I'm you sorry. meant. I'm sorry. I thought you I, meant. When you say tuners, you know, okay. you assume I, tuning I, okay. machines. Yes, but he said tuner. Tuner. I'm here. I'm here to help out. Your old uncle. <sighs> wow, Todd. that's that is. I mean, there there are actually a lot of good ones, and even old Cluzons are are still pretty good. Yeah. Um, and I think if Cluzon, I had, a, a Cluzon tuner is. One that you would see. It's uh, basically a stamped metal tuner that you would see on it's a an fender. Closed back. Closed back. With this with the skinny lines on the Little back. Lines. They usually say clues on. They use them on Gibsons. They, they use them on like everything. They're super thin and super cheap. Yep. 
And and they sound different than what you know we we would you know everybody back when I was getting into music. You know, that was the first thing you changed. Guitar wouldn't stay in tune. Well, you got to put these Grovers or Schallers or yeah. whatever on. So if I had to pick, and and I've and I've done replacements, and I've actually gone back and taken some that were converted with seal tuners and put them back to Cluzons because they sound better. But I, I think as a general rule, I I like old gro- Grovers. Yeah. I think that, you know, they kind of set the standard uh, really back in, I think they were making machines back in the thirties, yeah. really. But the ones that really come to mind are the ones that were really from the fifties and sixties. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's, there's some, even into the late sixties, their term, they call a milk bottle, uh, rotomatics. I have a few sets of those and a particular set. Um, they were nickel at one time and they came on my dad's, uh, 69, uh, dove and, Gosh, man, that guitar has been in my life all my life. So, I mean, having those tuners, you know, I understand why. They've, I've never had to do anything to them except tune the knob. Yeah. You know, I turn mean, the, the knob to tune the string. That's I, I really do think that, that Grover set the standard for, yeah. for sealed tuners. And, of course, now you can get, you know, Schallers from Germany and Gotos from Japan and they're Korea. Good. They're good ones. And, you know, they're all maybe a step better than or smoother than a stamped tuner. But and there are some cases that I still prefer a, a, the sound of a stamp tuner. Yeah. But yeah, to answer your question, I will go with Grover. Excellent question, Jared. Count. Thank you, Tony. Next question to Tony. Todd, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> is this NPR? This Why sultry. do people trash the new wide range pickups in the fenders? The reissues, you mean? The reissues. Well, the answer is actually pretty simple, okay. if, and especially if you've ever taken one apart, one of the newer ones. It's essentially a standard humbucker that has been potted with, I don't know what it is, some sort of some wax, waxed cloth-ish kind of stuff around to fill in the gaps yeah. around the larger size of the wide really? range humbucker. Um I'm going to turn this over. Jared, you you know the difference because you you build really good wide-range humbuckers, right? Thank now. you. Uh, the difference is, and well, the reason people trash them is because, yeah, they feel that Fender took, you know, a shortcut, you know, making that wide-range humbucker, a humbucker, because of the the parts. You, you Threaded magnets are very expensive to make now. Uh, they no longer make the Kunafi magnet, which is a bunched up word. Um, it's called an acronym. Called an acronym. Thank you. Copper, which is. It's been a long day. Copper. CU. It's a bu- C, yeah. It's a Nickel. bunched up word. Yep. It's a bunched up word. It's an acronym. And Is uh, it from Akron? It might be. <laughs> but I could tell you something. You know, it, it, they don't make it anymore. No one will make this material anymore. So it's C U N I F E. There's you. a so uh, copper, nickel, and F E for iron for ferrite. That's right. The new magnet now that replaces Kunafi is is Ferco, and it's another bunched up word, <laughs> which is an acronym. That's, um, fer- ferrite, iron, iron, and iron, cobalt. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 machinable as in threadable uh, magnets because usually your all Nico magnets and other magnets are so hard. You know that stuff just shatters if you try to thread it. And when you have an in, you have an individual magnets as slugs instead of you know the steel slugs that Fender use now. All Fender uses now in the in the uh, newer wide range is a bar magnet, and it's the same bar magnet you find in hum in standard humbuckers. Yeah, it's basically a standard humbucker underneath a wide range humbucker cover that's all it is and not only that they use uh 42 uh wire and you have a much gauge and you have a much lower output pickup yeah is Um, is 42 uh, like a thick gauge string or a skinny gauge string 42 american wire gauge that's what bigger the number the thinner the string that's right it's like hair man look at all we're learning it's crazy (laughs) so a thin so a thinner wire what does that do to your tone it's actually the same wire they used, but there's less wire because the bobbins they use are much smaller. So you can you have to put less wire on the bobbin because it you know if you try to put 
you know, more wire on the bobbin like they did in the old days, it, it'll just run over. You don't have enough room. The old original wide range pickups were, you know, 10.5K. They were hot. Uh, whereas the new ones now are That's around 10.5K output. That's right. And now they're 7.5K output instead. That's, that's you know. like a standard. Yeah, it sounds like a PAF humbucker. And, you know, that's cool if that's your thing. But if you want the true 72 sound, you know, you, you want to... gypped. That's right. Yeah. You, you want to go look, with... But you don't have the guts. Yeah, there's a handful of boutique builders that build aftermarkets, like Seymour Duncan, Jason Lawler, myself, Mojo Tone makes one. Curtis. Um, Curtis Novak. And there's a company in the UK, the Creamery. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. They make one as well. And they're all pretty good, and they're, and they're all slightly different too. Because well, which the, one sounds best, Jared? Uh, I'm I gotta say mine because <laughs> I'm, I don't know. They all sound different. They have different recipes. Um, they have different parts. These parts are not easy to find nowadays. They're very expensive to make. That's why Fender builds them the way they do now. And you know they advertise them as newly voiced. Well, yeah, because you know they don't want to invest the money in buying you know all these parts for x amount of dollars it's really expensive to do yeah so turning over to the the boutique builders that's that's great for us you know because if if you really want that sound you'll you'll go to you know one of us builders for that awesome excellent awesome question todd thank you sir back to you jared (laughs) all right (laughs) <laughs> There's something I want to do, and that is to ask a question. <laughs> Here's another pickup question for you, bud. Oh, God. What is the absolute best-sounding pickup configuration for your personal taste? Like, your favorite pickup configuration? Well, I, I think I'll, I'll probably go with, um, like, a Les Paul configuration, double humbucker. Whoa. I was not expecting that. Me either. Well, no, I'm just saying the the configuration. I mean, if I, I there's so many tools in the tool shed. I mean, you can, you know, the standard telly is fine, but you know, uh, uh, there's something special about a Les Paul. Let's say you're going to a show. If I was going to a show and there was three, there's four guitars sitting there. Uh, yeah, I'd go with a Strat. No, um, um, I mean, I think uh, even though I only have, I don't know, I think, do I have two, maybe two Les Pauls? Um, they they seem to be, I mean, they cover such a wide range of things. I mean, the ultimate tool for tool in the in the shed is is a Telecaster because you can do just about anything with that. But um, the best combination in a Les Paul and I've been told this is the same uh, pickup configuration that Mr. Seymour Duncan likes in, in Les Paul is a, uh, a Duncan JB in the bridge and either a Jazz or a 59 in the neck. And it's a, it's, I've used that on, on so many different guitars. Um, I just put another JB that was, uh, uh, well, it was a Trembucker or, or Fender spacing and, and a buddy of mine, uh, his, uh, his Les Paul. And that one, really, the string spacing in the bridge position worked out better, I think, than a standard. Because it's a little bit, you know, you miss the, the outside strings a little bit with standard spacing. And uh, it really brought this guitar back to life. Interesting. So, JB in the bridge and either a Jazz or a 59 in the neck. Excellent question, Jared. Thank you. All right. Question number eight to Tony. Please spell. Did <laughs> no. uh, you use that in a sentence? Yeah. If Floyd Rose tremolos, the floating tremolos you see on a lot of, I guess, quote unquote, more metalish guitars or Locking at least nut. progressive yep. guitars. Yep, yep, yep. If they're if they're so bad, because there is well, there's a lot of talk on the internet about complaints about them. They're you know. They're they're terrible. They're ter- they're awful to work on. I think. Oh yeah. yeah. But why did every guitar in the eighties have one? Well, I think that was it was obviously a trend in the eighties. But I mean, I in 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 the Floyd Road in in defense of Floyd Rose, they're actually they were an improvement over what was kind of a you know the the original Fender 
vintage tremolo was notorious for dropping out of tune. Right. Um, I think the musical style of the 80s with all the dive bombs and Eddie Van Halen goofy stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there were, there were really, at that time, there were Kalers, there were Floyd Roses, and then there, you know, obviously, as, as those became popular, there were tons of knockoffs. Right. So yeah. maybe maybe more accurately, a floating a floating. Tremolo. Yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, a, they're all floating. They, they all you, float. I mean, if you set them up yeah. right, they all Floyd float. Floyd Rose-style tremolo. The thing with the Floyds is they um, they also incorporated a, um, a locking nut at the top. So the idea was you stretch the strings, you set everything up, you lock it at the nut, you lock it at the bridge. And, pr- and there's probably a lot of people that don't know what a locking nut is because uh, we haven't, they they don't really yeah. come around too often anymore, but and essentially your nut. Just go to music around. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you, the nut that we're, that we're all familiar with, which is typically um, just a, you know, a piece of, of bone or plastic or whatever have you, yeah. that the string with a groove and the strings go right over it. The locking nut was essentially a, like a U-shaped trough, a hunk of metal with two, with a with, with with three pieces that literally used an Allen wrench, right, to to lock the strings right. and down, a, and a little block of uh, metal. Then you made you essentially made a, a metal sandwich to quite literally just completely screw down your string. Yeah, it it it's, it's very complicated. Um, it did solve some problems. It obviously created a lot of other problems sure. for people that you know that really didn't know, know what they were doing. Know what they were doing, and 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 to set one up is extremely difficult. That's why if you go to any guitar shop, they are, there is always uh, right uh, an extra charge for well, to work on. Floyd's. It's interesting too because uh, my daughter actually asked me this the other day. She said, "Why why can't you tune your guitar like I tune my violin?" Her violin, there's the big tuning pegs at the scroll, right? And then then there's the, the fine, fine tuning at the back, and right. that's essentially what those allows yeah. you to do with yeah, a locking yeah. nut. So I've locked it into G, and then then you can with that little tiny thing on the back to fine tune it. You fine can tune fine tune it, it when yeah. needed. Yeah. So that I mean that that was the idea, but there and, you know in my opinion there's something even better about playing guitar out of tune. Agree. It's a agree. natural chorusing. Effect. I'm pretty good at that. I was at, yeah. I, I was at uh, my buddy's guitar shop, and I was buying a a guitar that had a Floyd Rose type thing going on, uh, so I could play a certain song in a cover band. And uh, I said, song, hey, "Which song did you no, try to get? Let him go. Let him go." <laughs> uh, so yeah. But the great song. Anyway, I said, "Oh, he, I said, yeah, uh, let's tune this thing. We tune it." And then I said. Ah, oh, wait a minute. I need this thing and drop drop D. And he goes, Oh, you have no idea. Jeez. And just kind of threw a fit because now you tell me. Mm. I just spent a half hour tuning the thing. Yeah. I thought that was really funny. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, I, I don't ever think that those will make a, a big comeback, but I, I mean, I could be wrong. I mean, well, uh, look, I mean, a lot, if you're playing a shredder guitar and yeah. it's got a trim, that's pretty much still what's on it. Yeah. I mean, you got to set the intonation and, but and that's still crazy. That is reserved now rather than en masse. Oh yeah. For those specific needs. Right. Right. Okay. There's another one. Good one by Todd. Okay. Check. <laughs> Jared. <laughs> All right. I have question that is awesome for you because it's kind of personal. No. What music made you really want to play guitar? Oh, that's easy. I just mean, what what genre? What year was it? You know, he just the, said it was really easy. You know, you're complicating <laughs> it. I want it to be complicated. I want you to <laughs> to you know read. You know, I don't know. Well, I mean, I grew up. I mean, in my four, my formative. So, so let's be clear. There's no clarification on the need for it to be difficult. But if you can difficult it up. Please, that would be. Great. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna try to. <laughs> here's I'm gonna my, try here's, to undifficult, difficultize it. Well, actually, I, I want to give the listeners out here an idea of who you yeah. are. So be specific. Man, all right, he's tough. He's a tough. He's asking the tough questions tonight. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I, I mean, obviously, uh, I was born in the '60s, and my yeah. sister was a little bit older than me, and. Um, 
So I I grew up listening to the Beatles and stuff. In fact, the very first um, songbook that I learned to play guitar, I taught myself, was my uncle had this hit parade book from like 1964 or 65. I had no idea they actually had those. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was like it was it had, you know, some Beatles songs. It had I forget the, the rest of the people that were in there. Um, but it was, it was, you know, it was simple chord stuff and you, you learn to play, you know, rather than playing Kumbaya or whatever, or Michael Rowe, the boat ashore or all that fun stuff. Um, so that's how I, I kind of taught myself, but I, I mean, that was, you know, my sister played stuff like that. Uh, I remember (laughs) she got the, uh, the single to come together and, uh, boy, my parents hated that song. Oh my God. She'd play it on the thing and, kind of music is this right you know so it was you know that that would have been what 1968 69 but um i mean beyond that so so the beatles stuff was always big with me i mean i listened to the who the stones and all that but you know then when 70s turned the corner i mean obviously there was so many bands in the early 70s that i'm still listening to a lot uh you know bands like sweet and uh and you know kinks and and even you know, getting into starting into the early days of Zeppelin and things like that. There's, I mean, that was. I mean, I think between 1965 and 1975, there is just that. That was the, probably the most incredible decade of music. So, so that also kind of explains my infatuation with Rickenbacker guitars because I mean, I remember seeing pictures of the Beatles and you know, I said, oh my god, that's a cool guitar. You know, George Harrison playing the twelve string and. And John with his, you know, uh, 325. Um, so it was, it was really cool. I, I, you know, that, that had the biggest influence on me. Wow. And, uh, and I still gravitate towards that sound. I mean, it's, I, I'm, I play Vox amplifiers because that's just the, the kind of thing that, you know, that sound sounds right to me. Mm-hmm. It may not sound right to everybody, but, um, but you know, I I had a slew of Fenders and PVs and things throughout my you know the seventies and eighties. And uh, what and PV I, did you have? <laughs> <laughs> well, I probably I, I had several. I think one of them was a Deuce, right? And I probably had a Classic Two Twelve. Um, okay, those were and actually the Classic Two Twelves are pretty good. I think I, I had I one of those on early PV. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mine had the phase thing on it. Yeah, I that, that's that, probably man. the Deuce. Yeah, I think I had the Deuce. And uh, and then I had uh, you know the, there's so many amps that I could kick myself for getting rid of. I we had this music store up in Youngstown that had you know everybody wanted to buy the new stuff, and so right. there was this pile of old stuff. And I there was this old Fender you know, Fender amp ahead that we needed for our bass player. Well, it turns out it was a, a 61 Fender bassman head, oh. brown face. Somebody had spray painted the cream Tolex black. And, right. uh, but it was still a killer amp. And, you know, I, I think when the band broke up, we sold that off. I, mm. That's one I wished I would have kept. So that was a, that was a great one. All so, right. There you go. Okay. Roundabout way to your favorite band. Uh, Beatles. (laughs) Okay, question number 10. We're halfway there, everyone. What is up with Parker Guitars? You like the fly? I like the fly. Oh, gosh. So, another another guitar. Qualifications for this question. Okay. that That was a guitar that was wild and different at the time, is still very expensive. All things considered. Yeah, I guess. Uh, what was... I, I, I think it was one of those uh, solving a problem that did not exist guitars. I've played a couple. I, they were never really all that comfortable. I mean, they were thin. I mean, they were probably one of the thinnest electric guitars I think that I've played. A lot of them, I think, had a, the, the piezo kind of acoustic output on the bridge. I'm trying to think who played them. Probably Reeves Gabriels. Gabriels. I don't even know who that is. He played for Bowie and... Oh, sorry. It, it, you know, they you don't see many of them now. No, but when they do come up, they hold their price. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's... i to who was buying them and why. Like, because I remember there was a 
explosion of that. It was like, oh, was, everybody's got Well, I think it because at the time when it they came out. They had some innovations with it. It was the innovations. The, the shape was like nothing else. Yeah. Um, I think the materials that they used on some of them, they might they might have been a, a, a carbon fiber body or something. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there was something, at least one of the, the model lines. But The headstock is the head- very, very, so for those minimalistic, maybe <laughs> have not seen a Parker, specifically the Fly, the Fly put them on the map. It was called the Parker Fly, and uh, it had, uh, it, everything was just exaggerated a little bit weirdly. Um, it, it sort of was one of the first guitars that had come along that had really rethunk what a modern guitar should be that was the that was the first time i i saw i think a guitar and i was like you know I, this I think, is different than every other guitar I, I think that's a it, it, it was a very very modern style yeah. something and it was unique i there wasn't there's there still is nothing quite like it yeah and the the headstock essentially it it, it almost looks like there's not a headstock it's it like a candy like a, bar. Yeah, there's there's like a bar that the like tuning a, machines like stay on. Like a hockey on. stick, but you're like, yeah. where did the rest of the headstock go? Yeah. And I know that uh, there are proprietary parts that you have to use to fix them. I think much like a, a Like a Steinberger, yeah. yeah. Curious. Division of Gilliam. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so sort of a mystery uh, answer on that one. Yeah, like, that's... Don't that, really that one, that one, I can't... I, you know, there's... There's no accountant for taste. Yeah. So uh, to supplement that, anyone who wants to add a little bit to our Facebook group and tell us their thoughts on the Parker, specifically, I guess, the Parker Fly, because that fly. really kind of put them on a the map. Yeah. Um, please do so. Love to hear your chatter about that one. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure I'm going to get just like my stainless steel frets. Yeah. We love our Parkers. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> and we've reached the halfway okay, point. Go. Hey, everybody. Hope you enjoyed part one of the two-part series of 20 Questions with Tony Dudzik. Uh, in the next episode, we will have shocking part two. So be on the lookout for that. Test one, two, three. My name's Jared. Uh, that was nice. He doesn't care about my level. No, we, he turns you I off all the time, all the time. I can see her. Have level. you heard the last couple podcasts? You're He's, like, you're like, it's like gone. You're not even on. Yeah. I know. You're totally off. <laughs> okay, ready? It's not in my head right now. It left my brain. I just blanked out. You just blanked out. It's say. time for another question. That's I think. all the time for me. Well, that's it for these knobs. Please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the guitar knobs visit our website at theguitarknobs.com for all of our past episodes four on the floor blog and other good stuff you can connect with us on social too at our facebook page and share your gear and stories on our facebook group also be sure to check out our instagram at guitar knobs catch you next time